0: Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I was having a conversation with my producer, Eric, for the show uh, last week or the week before, and I was telling him that I had just opened a new gym facility in New York City, independent training spots, our fourth location in Soho now. And he reached out and he was like, look, that's really exciting. I remember in Optima 2020, you did a lesson, you did one of the uh, courseworks, on opening your own gym, and he thought this might be a good time to actually run that so that you can hear about opening your own gym, because it's a dream for many of the fitness professionals, but is opening your own gym really the right thing for you? Is that what you should be doing? And if so, when and where and how do you start? So I'm going to invite you to come on in and get the scoop on the financial aspects of setting up your own business. We're going to cover the cost associated with some of the basic essentials, such as finding a location, negotiating rent, security deposits, build-out needs, branding, and ultimately operating your business. In addition, we will discuss how much money you will need and the options that are available to getting access to that money. Oh, man, I remember going through it. And not fun, not fun. So I really hope if you wanna open a gym, I tell people all the time, I used to be, if you wanted to open your own gym, I'd be like, oh, you should open it, you go for it. And now I am the opposite. Like if you wanna open your, it's a terrible idea, don't do it. And then if you still, still feel like you need to open a gym, then maybe it's right for you. But there are a lot of things besides wanting to have a gym that should lead you to make a decision whether or not you actually open a gym. Check out this episode. And I also want to remind you about the upcoming Optima Virtual Conference taking place online October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd Fully digital again this year, giving the attendees access to more than 100 fitness professional related to info sessions you can jump into. You have so much access to so much knowledge and so many of the top educators in the field. Head over to nasm.org virtual optima 2021 to get more info about this year's slate of events. You're listening to the NASM CPT podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie and welcome to Optima 2020, day two, welcome everybody, I'm glad you're here. And uh, do this, you can do some chats, right? So this is a live session, you do your chats. I have a friend and a fellow NASM colleague, Ken Miller is going to be fielding those questions, forwarding them to me so that I can access them and give feedback to your questions. They're gonna be a Q&A at the end, but today, I feel good. I checked my biometrics when I woke up this morning. My heart rate variability is high and my beats per minute are low. That means I'm ready to roll. So let's get started with it. How many times have I heard, I wanna open my own gym? People come to me as I've taught NASM workshops throughout the years and they tell me that their aspirations are to be gym owners. I think that's a fair aspiration. That that may be the first job, the first entrepreneurial concept that I ever had when I was a young man. I was 14, 15 years old. Had a martial arts instructor who owned his own gym with a studio inside of it, which he taught martial arts out of. And I thought, well, of course, every young kid wants to be like their martial arts instructor. So I wanted a gym. He was a personal trainer. I wanted to be a personal trainer. I wanted to own my own facility. And so... I let that go. And then years later, I came back around and I've opened up four brick and mortar locations. I have several things in the works right now as time goes forward. And I wanna share with you some of the experiences I've had as a gym owner. Some of the loops and hoops that I had to jump through and some of the pitfalls and the dangers and things like that. So I wanna talk about getting started. What do you need? Where to start? We're gonna talk about what kind of gym do you wanna have? I think that's a valuable question to ask, and you have to have a good concept of what you want to do. Probably the most important thing and the thing that gets overlooked and underconsidered, is what does your financing look like? So I'm going to share with you some stories about financing and I've gone through several iterations and we'll talk about what it looks like to open with partners. We'll talk about what it looks like to equity share. We'll talk about what it's going to look like to get a loan. So these are the things that I want to have a conversation about. And then we'll talk about getting a a broker, a real estate broker, start looking at some things, design and layout of your gym. Very important. Other concepts, legal. So what legalities exist? What about insurance? What about accounting? All those other business things that make you go, maybe I don't want to open my own gym. Maybe this sounds like an awful idea after all. And being a personal trainer is a wonderful idea. So uh, then we can talk about setting up your systems and your concepts. So here's about where to start. And the first thing I want to talk about when getting started on opening your own gym is if you're not certified as a personal trainer, you don't have to be certified to be a gym owner. I'm assuming if you're attending this conference, you are. But get certified as a personal trainer. Understand the business that you're going into. I think it's really um, important. It's an important concept to know that if you're going to have personal trainers and you're going to have fitness, being a business is one thing and understanding that business from the inside is very valuable. And it's another thing. So even if you don't plan on being a personal trainer within your own gym, then I encourage you get a personal training certification, obviously an NASM credential in order to to move forward and better understand it. Then here's kind of the the downfalls, right? So you got to decide if opening a gym is going to be worth opening a gym. And it sounds like a great idea. It sounds like you're gonna have all the freedom in the world, but let's talk about some things. Let's talk about insurance. So if you're gonna own a business, then you have to have insurance on your business. Um, You have to have insurance on all of your employees. These are the kind of things that really add up. It's surprising when I first started getting employees, I was like, wait a minute, I have to do insurance on all of these guys too. You have to pay your employee tax in New York State, you have to pay sales tax on everything, including services. So that's personal training now as well. Um, you have to have employees, and uh, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to suggest a book, and the book is called the E Myth Mastery, and the E Myth is a wonderful book, and it's. It took me a long time to read it because I thought when they said e-myth, then it was going to be like the electronic myth or something like that. But it's the myth of being an entrepreneur. And the example they gave is because there's a baker that works in a bakery that's really good at baking. They're so good, they're better than the person who owns the business. So why don't I open my own bakery? I bake for this person and I I can do this business. Personal trainers do that all the time. Personal trainers go, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good trainer. I'm the best trainer. I could open my own gym. But when that takes place, you're no longer the trainer. And if you are, then you are spread wildly thin because you are doing the job of every person in that facility. You're a gym owner now. So just because you're a good trainer doesn't mean you're a good gym owner. You might work for somebody that's a lousy gym owner, but it doesn't mean you're gonna be a good one. There are a lot of hoops to jump through. And so I suggest reading that book just to give you an idea. Um, you know, at first I, I loved the encouragement that people gave me when I said, I'm gonna open my own gym. And I got very few people who said, don't do it, man, you gotta be careful. And I was one of those guys where I was like, man, I wanna do that for other people. I wanna tell them like, live your dream and do it. And then I ran into so many struggles as a gym owner It certainly makes me look at being a gym owner and opening your own gym and saying, look, you can do it, but I'm gonna present to you all the things that suck about it. And if it is still your heart's burning desire to open a gym, then that's probably what you should do. But you gotta consider the stuff that's not enjoyable, the stuff that you think might be easy, like the gym that that you can just kind of plug and play. And it may not be that. Hey, uh, it may not be the case. So let's talk about legal as well. There are legal ramifications about owning an own gym, and there are wonderful things that we have to do, like finding waivers, and uh, you're going to have legal contracts that you do when it comes to to signing a a lease. Having your attorneys look over the lease, you're going to go back and forth on terms. So it's going to be a lot of legal accounting. I want to talk a little bit about as well because um, a good accountant is worth paying a good accountant for. So get the right people to work for you. And then is it freedom, owning your own gym, or is it a prison? And I've known many gym owners throughout the years that have really seen like this was gonna be their call to freedom and financial freedom and time and it wasn't really like it's. It was a prison to them. And I know people who closed their gym, and they they feel like they just spread their wings and they can fly again. So it's not always the right answer. Uh, also, there's a there are potential pandemics. I don't know. Maybe I'm just throwing darts out there, but there are potential pandemics that can take place. So I'm gonna also suggest that as you go through and look at your contract. None of my current contracts have what's called a force majeure or an act of God uh, section in it. I think all of my contracts going forward will have a force majeure or an act of God uh, section in the contract that says, God forbid, another pandemic arises something, just a calamity that we had no control over, then I can get out of my lease if I want to. And I think that's valuable because I was stuck in leases for six months making zero dollars and owing 100% of the the landlord uh, fees to the landlords. I owe 100% of rent, zero money, 100% of rent, six months. That's enough to put anybody underwater. So the challenges are there, the challenges are real. So real in fact that I had four locations and we did had, have to fold a facility. We did have to close a location. There was a lot of money lost. There was a lot of time lost. And those struggles are real. But if I look back and say, wow, I put in all that money, I put in all that time. If I keep looking back at what I lost, it's really painful. So I don't, I have to only look forward because that's the only direction I'm going. So looking forward, so what's next is the what's next. So let's talk about let's talk about opening your own gym. First question is, what kind of gym do you want to have? There are a lot of people out there that have these ideas of what gyms that they want. So some of them are membership-based. These gyms are great, the membership-based gyms, because you know that you got to get a membership base that that group of people are going to pay $50 a month, $10 a month in some cases, $100 a month. And you have to build that base, right? So do you have a means and plan at which you do it? Do you want a membership base? There are a lot of um, studios out there now. So is it class-based? And some of those class-based studios, they're making money hand over fist. It's a fantastic concept, but it only works when it works. So do you have the right concept? We'll talk about that a little bit. Leads, which leads us into... Have you ever thought about a franchise, a license, an affiliate program? And I think that sometimes people let this idea of franchising disenfranchise them. And the reason is a lot of times the franchise, just the upfront fee, might be $25,000. Just It might be more, a lot more. Um, Most of them start about $25,000 just to get access to the franchise. But then you still have to pay for the build-out. You still have to pay for the machines and the branding and all that stuff. So, but the answers are already written out for you. That's what's great about a franchise. A franchise, super easy to get a loan if you're getting a loan for a franchise of a proven business model. So that's helpful. And if you do a franchise, people have already proven that it works. You get to look at their stuff. They can show you all of their information, how much money they've made, what their setup was, their membership base, all the systems are in place. You don't have to figure out anything. Boy, that would have been really, really helpful for me because I messed up a lot. I opened it because I thought I knew what I was doing, which, you know, I didn't. Uh, I learned along the way. I figured it out. I'm a quick learner. And so there were a lot of things that, that, that I learned. There are a lot of things I still have to learn. But the opportunity to learn from a franchise holder who basically says, here's your book on how to open and how to operate, and it is a plug and play, that might be the way to go for you. yeah license. So uh, licenses are a little bit different, which is having your own business, but then licensing other concepts that might go into it. So you might license Lumba, you might license uh, Les Mills, you might license... Uh, a dot fit. You might license uh, recover. You might license a lot of different ideas and concepts that go into an already existing facility to help bring awareness to your brand so that you can coexist with another. And then here's an interesting one. Um, what about your own ideas and your own concepts? And I'll say that I did that with a company called Recover. We started a recovery facility. And it was a great idea. It was a great concept. There was not a single recovery brand out there. And we opened. But boy, that was difficult, because people would say, Oh, what's the idea? And we would tell them, it's about recovery. And people would go, I don't have a clue what that means. And we would say, Well, it's a good idea. And they said, Do you have a proof of concept? And we say, No, no, I don't have a proof of concept. It's a new concept the number of potential investors who turned around immediately and said, not for me. If you can't prove it's a way to make money, then I'm out. It's high risk, your own ideas, your own concepts. Those are high risk. And so unless you've got the network, and these were friends and family who invested, but there were a lot of friends and family who said, there's no way that I'm willing to put my my money into a new brand, a new concept. So just be aware of that and the challenges that can exist. Uh, Also, I think it's important that you have a means of driving success, not just a desire to be successful. And that's where a lot of people are. I desire to be successful. I know, I believe, I have faith in what I'm doing. But do you have systems? Do you have a plan? Do you have a means of sharing that plan and executing that plan? Because a desire sounds nice. A desire sounds nice. There are a lot of tiny people playing basketball and a lot of tiny people playing football that have a desire to be successful. But do they have a means of driving that success? The thing is, is that you can be a giant in any of these. You can grow. You can develop yourself so that you can drive success. One of the things that I did when I opened my first gym is... I would have day, um, every other week on Wednesday, I think it was three o'clock, always a slow time at three o'clock. There was nobody at the gym. I have training gyms, personal training gyms. It's called the independent training spot. And, and it's a place where it's like a, a, co-working space for personal trainers. They rent the gym from me. I provide the gym, the facility, the lockers, the showers, the towels, all of that stuff. And so they rent the space, train their clients out of it. So Three o'clock in the afternoon when I first opened, there was nobody. Nobody was there. Nobody was coming. <laughs> How was I going to drive business? Well, I'm an educator. So I offered free education to personal trainers, fitness professionals to come in. They didn't get any continuing education credits, but they got continuing education. And so, twice a month, free workshops, people came in. They did the free workshops. And then I started inviting other people, other trainers around town to come in and teach. Well, those trainers would invite their friends to this facility to listen to them teach. And so as the network grew and grew, eventually I stopped having the education courses. Why? Because I was busy at three o'clock. I was busy on those days that we had to start cutting out the continuing education that built the business because the business had built. And so that was just a wonderful thing. And it was a means of driving success to the facility. What what are your means of driving success? Is it hope? Because that's not going to get you very far. Hope's not going to get you very far. Hope is a combination of expectation and desire. And you can desire all you want, but there's no reason for you to expect it if you didn't do anything to get it there. What is your means of driving success? And you're going to have to put a lot into it. All right, let's talk about financing. Financing. Financing was one, I'm going to tell you my story and then I'm going to go into some of the the things that you might find interesting. I had a guy that was willing to invest in my business, my idea, my concept. He was my second training client ever back in 2002 when I started personal training and he was still with me over a decade later and he says, look, I'm willing to invest in you. I think it's a great idea. I love it. I want skin in the game. He was willing to put in up to 50% of the money, but he wanted 50% of the business. And I thought, well, that would be nice, except you're not gonna be working in the business, and I'm gonna be working and putting in, little did I know, the 86-hour weeks for almost an entire year of my life. I apologize to my wife and children. So, I knew that because he was going to be doing the work, ha- having half the money would be great. But the, the amount of money he was putting in and the equity he wanted didn't feel comfortable to me. So I want to tell you, be, be willing to negotiate, right? People put out big numbers because they assume you're going to negotiate. And if you choose not to negotiate, they win big usually. So negotiation's key. But he also said something very nice to me because he was a friend. He was like, if you can get a loan from a bank, there's no reason for you to even ask for an investor to put money in. So I had a wonderful business plan, which I took to the bank and I sat down with Chase and Chase goes, oh, I don't need a business plan. And I was like, but I spent so much time. If I just leave you a copy, will you look over it? (laughs) And the guy was like, "Uh, if you wanna leave a copy, it's fine. But that's not how banks work. Why? Because they're not your business partners. They're, they're giving you a loan and you're going to pay them back with interest. So what do they care about? They care about income. Well, I had been training and traveling with a guy for three years. I had one client for three years. I traveled with him all over the country. So I made a lot of money and I wasn't spending a lot of money at the time. So I came back and I had money to invest. At the time, I had $125,000 cash in my bank account that I had saved up over the years to open my own gym, but I needed another $125,000, but I didn't have a job. And because I didn't have a job, I didn't have income, they refused to give me a loan. And I was like, look, I got money in my account. And they said, it doesn't matter because you don't have a job. So... I did something that was very important, and this is a suggestion that I would like for you to truly consider, is I went to the SBA, and I worked with Chase, who already had my loan application, already had my information, worked with them to deliver that to the Small Business Administration, and the Small Business Administration approved my loan for $125,000 at a low interest rate. And uh, not low interest rate like mortgage rates that you see today. Low interest rate was 7% over seven years. So over seven years, I borrowed $125,000 and it cost me $25,000 to pay that back. So it was $150,000 that I paid back on a $125,000 loan, but it made it accessible to me. And it also did something very important. Now, I did not build out the best, most dynamic gym. But what I did do is I built out a functional gym for what I could afford at the time and still had money in my account left over to stay open for several months. And I think this is what a lot of people do and they end up failing. I see in the restaurant business a lot, they spend a lot of money on the build out, but they don't leave money in the bank account to stay open to let it catch on and catch fire. You gotta keep money in your bank account to let your business catch on and catch fire. I usually say you need at least, and this is minimum, minimum, minimum three full months of rent and capital um, uh, operating expenditure, operating cost. You need to have that in the bank. And we're gonna talk about CapEx and OpEx in just a moment. So I want to, to deliver on that shortly. Let's also look at, um, This bank financing, which can be really a good idea, but it has to require, in some instances, significant income, which at that time I didn't. So SBA loans, bank financing, and then investing. So partnerships. You can partner with people. I have partners at my facilities that I have open right now. Same partner in each one. The thing is, is that I built the business and then sold a portion of my business to an operator. And so this person bought a minority share and operates the facility. So I still have a majority share and I do not have to operate. Now this is a beautiful blessing for me because it allows me to focus on then growing the business, not working in the business. My business partner works in the business. I also have opened a facility that had a partnership where there were going to be primary business and, uh, partners or investors, and these were the people who owned equity with me as what's called a Unit A investor. So this is the group of people that run the business. Then there's Unit B investors, and these contribute the money, but they don't control the business. So these Unit B investors, what we did is we sold 4% blocks. So you want a 4% equity block, that 4% block will cost you X amount of dollars. And so when they buy that based on a valuation, when they buy that block, they now own 4%. Well, you get another group that buys 4%, another person that buys 4%. So you start selling off equity in the company, they are group B investors. So they put money in, they want money back, but they cannot they don't tell you how to run your business so if you want to buy a really expensive piece of equipment you don't have any money in the bank to do it you can do a capital call you can say hey everybody that owns equity i need you to put some more money in because we need to buy a $50,000 whatever that is your investors have the opportunity to contribute or not contribute the ones that do not contribute they kind of uh dilute their shares And the people that do contribute, if they contribute more because somebody else is diluted, then they can get more equity as time goes on. So that can be some of the really heady stuff, the partnerships, the the business um, financing, things like that. Let's talk about CapEx and OpEx. This is how much money do I need to open this bad boy? Uh, a lot, a lot. So uh, it was very nice. My first facility I opened, I had um, the loan for $125,000 and I brought $125,000. That's $250,000. Seems like a really, really great, great amount of money to me. Even now, right now, it still sounds like a lot of money, but it was not enough money to open any of my future facilities because as the brand grew and I kept putting money back into it to refine what it looks like. Well, I couldn't then go and open a second facility that opened looking like the old first one. It has to look like the current new one. I mean, the current use ones, right? So here's what I want you to consider. CapEx. Let's look at a few things. Number one is security deposit. So let's say, now, y'all, mine are probably going to be a lot more expensive where I live in New York City and where my gyms are than, than where you are. But I'm just going to use round numbers to make this a, uh, understandable. And then let's see if we can figure out what's going on from there. But here we go. Security deposit. A security deposit oftentimes is accompanied by your first month's rent and your last month's rent with escalations. Escalations mean, here's what happens. Every year, when you sign a contract, let's say you sign a five year contract. Every year, you probably have an escalation of two and a half to three and a half percent on your rent. So if you if you buy in at ten thousand dollars, then and your ten thousand dollars is monthly, then here's what you're gonna have to pay first month's rent, which is ten thousand dollars. You're gonna have to pay um, security deposit, which I've paid as many as five months' rent with security deposit. Uh, I know, yeah, ouch. And then last month's rent. And usually that security deposit is the with escalation. So that means at the fifth year, you've raised your rates 3% every year. And every year, there is a real estate tax that usually gets added. So if it's more valuable, the land, which it goes up every year, it does it every year. Real estate tax goes up, which means if the real estate tax for the building, and I'm one of four locations in my building it goes up a thousand dollars then that thousand dollars increase on the building gets split up between the four units in the building so now i have to pay 250 dollars extra well usually what i end up paying is a a lot more than that per year but these are real estate tax so here's at the end of it ten thousand dollars just to make it easy for first month rent ten thousand dollars last month rent four month security $60,000 of your $250,000 investment is already gone. It's out of here. And then at most of my locations, I've had to put in an HVAC. A lot of places in New York have window units still. And for a gym, we couldn't do that. We needed an HVAC. So here we go. Uh, A 10 to $20,000 investment that goes by putting your HVAC in. Then we needed flooring, gym floor. You gotta put gym floor in. You gotta protect the floor below you. So you put the gym flooring in. Um, My 2,500 square foot facility cost me about $20,000 to put gym flooring in. All right, so at $60,000 security deposit, rent, all that stuff. HVAC, let's just say $10,000 to make it easy. So at $70,000, $80,000, $90,000 to add the flooring in. I probably paid $5,000 for legal fees just to get started with people reading the contracts, reviewing the contracts with the landlord, um, setting up waivers, things like that. Legal fees, $5,000, cameras, putting up cameras throughout the system and then buying a monthly so it records. So now let's say I have $5,000 and that's $100,000 right there. What about towels? What about towels? You gotta get towels. You're going to print on them. You're going to stitch on them. Are you embroidering them? Towels, and mirrors. What about sound system? I haven't even thought about the sound system yet. It's real easy to pay a monthly for music. Now that's cheap. The speakers going in throughout the facility may not be so cheap. So the sound system, you know, what we haven't even talked about the, the design of the facility or the build out. had to build this thing out. Well, Do you need to put a wall up somewhere? Do you need to take walls down? Do you have to build out a locker room? Oh, my goodness, y'all. Locker rooms are expensive. You know what else are expensive? Lockers. Lockers are expensive. Here's the crazy part. When you went to look at the lockers, I got, I think, 26 lockers and it cost about $15,000. It blew my mind how much lockers could be. I didn't know. I didn't know. You're going to have lockers. Design and build out. Again, get a good designer. Speak with a branding person. You don't have to spend a lot of money on branding. And by not a lot of money, I mean, spend a few thousand dollars on identifying your branding, get a logo, I'm trying to trademark that logo, and build your business out. Trademark it if you plan on expanding. If you're just going to have your one local gym and that's your goal, is just to have John's gym, then then that's fine. But if you want to expand, then, then look at getting a registered trademark to put on your logo. And then you need to have some money for an initial PR push and initial marketing push. And I, I've had great success getting a, a fitness-based PR person to plug our business into things like the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and and, uh, and, and New York Post and all of these Metro um, newspapers, which is great, but I have a very niche business. So you have a niche business, then this is where social media marketing really comes in handy because you get to target your audience, but you gotta put money into it. And then you need to know how to target your audience. Targeting your audience is really valuable, but you also now have to create your client avatar and understand who your audience is so that you can tag and plug and find them directly. You know what I haven't even talked about financially yet? Not a single piece of gym equipment. I haven't talked about gym equipment because if you have a training gym like me, then you've got a few very, very important pieces of equipment that can go throughout but I can build out my facility with $50,000, 75000 worth of gym equipment. And that's, that's all I need. All the other stuff that I talked about far exceeds the gym equipment. And then what? And then you still have at least three, hopefully more, full months rent in the bank. Because when you open your doors... You go, oh, this is going to be good. People are going to knock down the door when I, the bell rings. And the, oh, oh, this is going to be so amazing. And it won't be. Day one's going to happen. And a few people come in. A few more people come in. Don't let that get you down. But what you can't do is you can't hold off on your marketing until you don't have enough money or enough time to do marketing marketing is going to be done first. It's when it's too late to market, it's already too late. So that's the scary part. And that's all the capital expenditures. What about your operating expenses? You got monthly rent. Do you have employees? Employees oftentimes cost more than your monthly rent. So depending on, depending on how many employees you have, of course, this is all dependent, but monthly rent and employees, your top two top two expenses most likely, followed closely and boy, did I not see this one coming, followed closely by laundry. (laughs) Oh my goodness. When you do laundry every day, all of a sudden you see those people who are stretching their clients and they use one towel for each leg and then the client's lying down on a towel and you're like, whoa, 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 I'm gonna need you to put some of those back, please stop. Stop. Just stretch them and it's sanitized. Stop doing so much laundry. And then you've got your electric, your waste, and your water. Insurance. Your mind-body platform or whatever other similar software you use for booking. Your internet. Your ongoing PR and marketing costs. Your cleaning. Your maintenance and your upkeep. Music subscriptions. Got to have it all written out. You need to know how much money you're going to spend every month. As soon as you know that, then you know what is the minimal amount of business that you need to do to stay open. And then you know what you need to do to get profitable. So let's talk about some of those things. Check this out. I just, I'm just i making up numbers here because I just don't know. But classes like, let's say it's a cycling class, and these cycling classes can be super, super trendy and they do $30 a class and they put 45 bikes in there and they pack it out and they do eight classes a day. That's $10,800 a day, times 30 days, that's $324,000 a month. Yeah, some people are making money like that. And we sometimes go "Oh, if if this cycling place can do it, I can do it. I don't know about that. So what would your numbers, how would my numbers do to find what a break even looks like? And so what I might do is I say, well, if I end up, I want to charge $30, but just for the sake of putting money out there, um, let's do $20 a class and 20 people, not 45 people. So I get 20 people a day and I do four classes a day that I can book out at that. Well, that's $1,600 a day. And I only do 20 days like that because let's, you know, the weekends might be fire, but Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever, a few days out of the month just aren't. So 20 days a week at $1,600, $32,000. Well, that sounds really good. So whether it's a cycling class or it's your high intensity class, or you run boot camps or or you do a bar class, whatever your, whatever your classes and your di- design is, might be a great idea. $32,000. Go back to your capital expenses, got to pay those off. Go back to your operating expenses. What are my operating expenses every month? And what's my break even? And you got to add your employees, you got to add your insurance. you got to add all those stuff up, all those things up. Now it's a great opportunity to help figure out what's the minimal amount of money that you need to make. So what I do is I look at my facilities and I tell my business partner, look, we don't close up, We can break even, let's say, at 20 sessions a day. What 20 sessions a day? What's our goal? Well, our goal is 100% profit, so we want 40 people a day, 100% or more. So if our break even is that, I want 100% profit off of break even, so let's aim for 40. 40 sessions a day is what I'm trying to get in. All right, and, and you play this in your head to find a way to do it. Well, how do you even start? You gotta find a real estate agent or a broker, preferably one that's got some gym experience, and they're gonna send you something called comps or comparables. And what they'll do is they'll give you a, a sheet that shows here's what this place looks like and the pictures in it, and here's another place, and here's another place, and it'll give you square footage and it might give you um, a floor plan with a layout. You wanna ask questions like how high are the ceilings? Do they accept gyms? And Um, I had several in comps that I'd look at and I'd find to be very interesting. Um, And at first he would say, I'll see if they'll get a gym, Uh, they'll accept a gym. And afterwards I was like, please don't send me any comps that you haven't already reached out to. And ask that question. You ask the question first and then deliver those comps to me. So don't just pull things and then go, oh, sorry. Yeah, they don't don't want a gym there. You find out if they let a gym in there and then you can forward them to me. And then we got to be able to say, OK, well, has it been a gym before. So are there showers or a locker room set up? What's your setup like? I'll tell you what mine's like. I have a low, uh, an open locker area, which means everybody can see the wall of lockers. And I have individual changing rooms and individual shower stalls and individual bathrooms. So that way, some people, people just don't feel comfortable a lot of times changing in front of people, showering and coming out into a locker room area. So I've made those all separate locations where it's an individual shower, individual bathroom, individual changing rooms. Um, It works well for what I do. And then also because it's an open locker area, most people are good, especially in training gyms. You rarely ever see people um, stealing things, but I believe everybody's a good person, but even good people in the shadows can be taunted or tempted to do things that are wrong, which is why when the area of the locker is open and everybody can kind of be like, hey, I see that guy and that's my locker, right? So the the thieving is probably pretty low like that. And we've never had an issue in the almost seven years that we've been open at independent training spot. All right, Um, all this information that you need needs to be on a term sheet with a landlord to approve. And then you're gonna have to get approval with whatever your local department of buildings. Uh, You might have to file for changes and then you have to do the build-out. Make sure that whatever you have listed out there is something that your landlord has agreed for you to build out because the last thing you want to do is for the landlord to, to, to get word that you've done something, and they say, hey, that's not part of our agreement, this kind of uh, capital build-out cost and the change of the layout of my building, I did not allow for that. So make sure that you get clearance from them. And then I'm gonna take questions in a few minutes. Where are we? Yeah, so I'll take questions in a few minutes. Let's talk about design, gym equipment and beyond. Number one thing, and this is not even a design thing, this is just a reasonable thing. When I open up my gyms, the number one thing that everyone said when they came in, this place is so clean. And I just, it blew my mind because if I know mine's new and it smells new and and everything is clean because it's new. But when people come into the facility and that's their number one thing, then that means that the gyms that they're going to, by comparison, are not clean. So clean your gym. Keep your gyms clean. People love clean gyms. And given the option to go to a clean gym or a dirty gym, if they're close by and the, the, the costs are about the same and all that kind of stuff, they're gonna, gonna go to the one that's cleaner. Keep your gym clean. You should want to do that out of simple desire, if not obligation, keep it clean. Here's another important thing. Whatever you get your logo to be, plaster it places. Because we live in a social media world and people love taking pictures and videos of them working out, and you want your logo to be somewhere in the background, in the foreground, floating on top of them, whatever, and however you can get that in there. So get that social media plug all throughout your facility. Don't be gaudy about it. Don't make it ugly. Don't make it, it's gotta be sensible. It's gotta be functional, but it also needs to be captured. All right, keep your place open. Don't clutter your stuff get rid of the things that aren't working. This is something that was very important, because there might be things that I like, and I put it in here because I'm the gym owner, I can do whatever I want. Except people don't like it takes up space, nobody's really using it. And I've gotten rid of some really wonderful equipment that people just didn't gravitate to. Or it's a learning curve, because it's not a normal piece of equipment that people are like, you know, I'm I'm just going to do what I'm comfortable with. And, and so when people you know, I opened it because I wanted innovative trainers to be there, but not everybody wants to innovate the way I do. And so when things didn't work, we removed things. And now we put in things that more people gravitate to. Now we have more rowers and ski ergs than we've ever had more um, of the the Airdyne bikes and things that a lot more people that train out of my facilities gravitate towards. So that's what I got in there. Um, Equipment can be part of your design. The thing is, there are great, great equipment design companies out there, but you're going to pay for it. However, you're not just paying for the functionality of the equipment, you are paying for the design of it. And the trendiness of that design will lead people to gravitate towards your facility. So, Escape Fitness is a great example of what that looks like. They have super well designed equipment. Matthew Geniusek is the CEO at that location. Oh my goodness, talking to Matthew, he knew, he knew like that's something that he wanted to do is have this design built into the gym. And it's worked wonders. It's stunning. But you can pay for that equipment. There's nothing wrong with that. Use a good designer, pay somebody to do it because it's going to be worth it. You get a good designer in there. Nobody that I've ever met that's used a designer has ever been like, I wish I'd just saved the money. Because a good designer makes you walk into a place and go, Phew. that's it right there. Um, we talked about opening one of my businesses with my business partner and you know there was drop ceilings and we're gonna have places for people to sit down. And I was like, it was just up to me and my partner, Aaron, who's also an NASM um, uh, educator. If it was just up to us, it probably would have been like lawn chairs, something like that. Just, you know, we got a designer and she was like, uh, no, here are these expensive chairs. And we're like, no, not expensive chair. And then we got them. We're like, oh, these chairs are amazing. (laughs) So spend the money. If you have the money, if you don't build into it, but use a designer and have that designer find something within your price range that looks better. Uh, it also has to be functional. So we've had conversations and run into bumps in the past with a designer who really likes something because it looks cool, but it wasn't functional. And then she was great because she was like, function always wins. It has to be able to be used. If it just looks good, then it's a piece of art. It needs to be functional. And then um, get a branding consultant also to work with it. Let's talk real quick about uh, legal. Um, Got to get your liability waivers. And the thing about liability waivers is they may not actually hold up really well in court, but it shows that you put the information out there and that the people were aware of it. It means you still have to hold up your end. You cannot be negligent. You have to be um, uh, very aware of what's going on in your facility. Uh, the number one cause of litigation in the country are slip and falls. So that needs to be your number one concern. I I will tell you right now, I've reached out to people to get an air conditioner fixed and this guy was awful, he was so slow. It was like he lived his life by just doing Tai Chi. It was so slow and everything. And then I told him, look, I need you because it's leaking. And I've never seen that guy respond so quickly and he showed up immediately because he understands the legalities of slip and falls so if you see wet areas make sure you dry them up if you need to mop try to do it when nobody's there Um, even if nobody's there put signs up to say that it's wet so people are aware it's probably not going to protect you legally but at least it makes people aware that it is wet so they can be careful (sighs) just try to protect yourself and then set up your systems find out what your key performance indicators are your client retention management or your crm um you want to probably have the electronic funds transfers monthly so if you can get a monthly fee from people and just plug that monthly that would be amazing also know that there are merchant fees that are going to be in place so whatever the cost of you getting money is about three to three and a half percent so every time you run your credit card for ten dollars then it's going to take off three percent of that ten dollars to pay the merchants like Visa or MasterCard or whatever. So just know that there's a fee that's associated with that. And so you're gonna be paying for your systems and you're going to be paying 3% of everything to the credit card company to allow us to use electronic funds. Okay, um, that's it for right now with just me talking about things. I hope that you found it it helpful. Uh, I hope that some of you listened to this and went, you know what? no. No, opening my own gym's not for me. It's not something that I want to do. I'm suddenly really uncomfortable. If that's the case, you probably don't need to be opening a gym. If you can be confronted with all of this and then you're still like, you know what? That sounds great or it even sounds terrible, but I really want to do it. Do it. Do it. It, might, it might be for you. It might be the thing that you should do. I'm gonna read you a quote. And so I was scared to death of opening my own gym. Uh, I had just had a kid and uh, two, I just had my second kid before I'd opened my first gym. And I thought this is a terrible time to open a gym and potentially lose everything. But I read this quote. This quote was by Anais Nin and it said, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And I said, that's it. I said, I might, I might lose everything, but the risk to do that became worth it because it hurt too much for me to not blossom. It took, it hurt too much for me to not grow. All right. So with that said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the questions. Ken Miller asked a question and says, uh, first one, what type of gym do you foresee being the most successful for time management and profit? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure. There are a lot of wonderful facilities out there for time management. Um, usually you could look at things like a membership-based gym where you might be an operator, but you have people that are working there, working the front desk, in and out. If you're open a studio, then you might have people that are working the front desk and then you hire people to teach the classes. So as really an operator, you might just focus on the numbers, you might focus on outreach and building your business or doing marketing. So I don't have a real true answer for that, but a lot of times when you work with franchises, they can do a lot of that stuff for you. But franchises also expect that you are going to operate the facility. So if not, then you're going to have to uh, not operate the facility, but pay somebody else to do so. Uh, didn't answer your question fully, but that's how I let it go sometimes. Thoughts on opening a PT studio in your basement? Um, I, You can. You can't, if it's just you, right? Like if it's just you, but if you're, if you're letting other people come into your house or into your basement to train people, uh, that might get old. Uh, Also, if you're married, you need to run that by somebody, right? You just run it by somebody, um, and then let them see if y'all going to still be married or not. But if it's just you living your best life by yourself and you want a PT studio in your basement, go for it. Uh, If it's just you training and you want to make money by opening your garage or opening your basement and training people out of it, then you can absolutely do that. And I think it's probably a good idea. How do you find money to start up a business? We ran over that. um, So with your partnerships and finding partners is why you need a business plan. If you go to the bank, you probably don't need a business plan. You just need to have income to show that you can pay that loan back. What kind of return on investment uh, or client can you expect from a gym, studio, or franchise? How do you competitively price membership and price per session? Uh, That's uh, interesting. So price per session and competitively pricing things are you need to really um, know what your services are. You need to know who your clients are and you need to have a good uh, idea of the market. And if you can provide because of your education and your service and all of these things, here's the thing. Um, you don't need to discount your price. You just need to provide so much that your price is a no-brainer. So you can, you can charge a lot of money for things. Don't be afraid to charge a lot of money, but you might have to work more. You might have to provide more stuff. But when you provide so much that it's a no-brainer, For somebody to pay extra to work with you, that might be the way to go. And it might cost you a little bit more time, but that might be absolutely worth it. All right, Um, let's see. I'm getting more questions coming in, so it's making me lose my place. Uh, Pros and cons of opening a home gym. I'll just answer it briefly. Uh, Pros is you don't go anywhere. Uh, it's at home um, cons are it takes up space in your home uh, you're inviting people into your home um, and it, it may not it may seem like a great idea and it may be a great idea and it may not uh, there are some people who do it and love it and there are some people who are like you know what not work for me um, maybe uh, I'll go to your house and train you I think if you're interested in doing it and you've got the space for it, then you can do it. You can even write off that space legally, write that space off um, on your accounting. And so work with your accountant on that, get a good accountant. Oh, fitness people, you're going to own your own gym, get a good accountant. Get your own credit card for the business. That's another thing I meant to put in this lesson. I can't believe I didn't do it. Get a credit card for your business. Never mix your credit cards. Oh, this is a business expense, but it's on my GAP credit card. Don't do that. Get a separate credit card for your entity. And then anything business related goes on that. And at the end of the year or at the end of the quarter or at the end of your batch, whenever you do it, you run that stuff. It is all in one place, game changer, life saver, do it, get a business credit card, put it on your business credit card. Um, In light of the pandemic and how it affected the gyms and still affecting some, would you have have done something differently? Yeah, I would have really pushed for the act of God or the force majeure clause. Um, If that's the case, I would only have two gyms right now, I would have let one of them go. In fact, uh, I couldn't pay, my gyms. And so I ended up being sued by one of my landlords. You ready for this? You all ready to open your own gym? This is some of the fun stuff. Uh, I got sued by one of my landlords. I have $610,000 left on my lease that I owed him. And he sued me for $610,000, which I think is funny because I couldn't afford the less than $10,000 a month in rent because of the pandemic. So I'm not sure how the 610 was going to take place. All right, here's another little business thing for you. I reached out to the landlord. I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I got this legal thing. Um, we're not making any money. How can you work with me? I want to keep the gym. I want to keep paying you. I want to run my entire lease for the next seven years or however's left on it. I want to do business with you. And let me tell you something. Landlords do not want to lose clients. I said, but I'm, I'm making zero money and I'm required to pay 100% of my lease. I cannot do that work with me and he did and he did and i'm no longer being sued um which is great and now i'm at 33 i can work at 33 percent capacity and that location's doing quite well it's doing almost better than it was before we had started this so some things just work out thank you so let's see have you closed up shop for a major facelift if so What worked well and what didn't? That's a great question. I did close up shop for a major facelift. Um, Lighting is very important. So if you don't have the right lighting, then close that place down and pay money to get your lighting right. People are going to walk in and they're just going to feel weird or it feels dark. It doesn't feel right. And the next thing you know, if they find another place that has better lighting, It might be more cramped, it might be busier, it might even be dirtier, but the lighting has to be on point. We had to upgrade our lighting. We paid a lot of money for it, and that return on investment almost immediately came back. So um, I'd say get your lighting right. Uh, we got a couple more minutes. Best way to store records with paper? Copy, scan, store online. If so, where? I don't do anything on paper, just so you know. Uh, My waivers are signed digitally. Uh, My booking takes place online. Payment takes place online. Uh, in order for people to train at my gym, they have to sign a digital waiver that's on the website. They sign the waiver, they send it in. They can come in and start training. Everything is done digitally. Everything is saved uh, on, on the email because once they sign it, it gets emailed to me and I have it with their name. So if I need to look up what that waiver is, I need to look up anything, I just type their name in, pops up. So uh, with that said, try to go as digital as you can. Used to people would come in with their paper stuff and you know, I'd be like, I need your your um, insurance and I need your certifications and all that stuff. And they come in and I'd say, uh, listen, don't bring a paper copy. And started writing that in my emails. Don't bring me paper copies. Just take a picture of it. If you need to do a PDF scan of it, send it to me. But don't bring in paper copies because all we're going to do is take a picture of it or scan it anyway, and I'm going to give those papers right back to you. So just go ahead and save me the time, and and they did and It worked out well, and I don't have any paper going on, so it's a great question. Uh, minimum population in an area that makes it worth opening. That's crazy. Like that's sadly something that I can't answer for you because I live in New York City, so I I don't have that issue. I definitely um, uh, have people <laughs> everywhere, so that's a little bit different for me. We're almost done at Vice on selecting a location. You know. It's interesting, some people go away from where other gyms are and some people open up like a restaurant row where there are gyms everywhere in a location. I do not know which one works better. And so that would be some market research on your end that you'll have to find out. Uh, Suggestions for finding a good accountant, suggestions for gyms for COVID protocols. Um, I've got some serious COVID protocols that I have in place, including air purifiers, uh, ultraviolet lights, uh, the MERV 13 in my HVAC units, um, uh, feet wiping stations, sanitation stations everywhere. So so uh, just follow the CDC guidelines on that. You can look that up state by state and through the CDC and then advice on selecting uh, a, an accountant. Um, Shannon Weinstein on Instagram, you can check her out. She is, and if you can't find her, she's a friend of mine. So you may look at my friends and find Shannon. Um, she is an accountant and she's a certified personal trainer, so she's a great CPA. And then I, I use for my businesses, RBM based out of Shreveport, Louisiana. And, um, and so I use them and they work really well. They do a lot of fitness facilities and they've been wonderfully helpful for me and my facilities right now. Um, I think that is it. What software are you doing? I just had an, um, I had a PDF put, and then I had a digital link and I had, a a link guy, at a my digital guy, put it on the website, they sign it digitally and then it just gets emailed back to me. I don't know how that works, so it's not a particular thing. It's just a, a website guy who I hired to do that for me. Uh, and he's done great. If you'd like information about him, then reach out to me. You guys can reach me. Instagram is where I'm most active, dr.rickrichey. Richie is R-I-C-H-E-Y, or you can email me at rick.richie at nasm.org. Thank you so much for attending. I hope I didn't go over too long and that this has already stopped, (laughs) but I want to express my gratitude for you being here. If you've got more questions, feel free to reach out to me thank you for being here. I hope to see you throughout Optima. I'm going to be popping into sessions and talking in the chat. So hit me up and say, hey, this is Optima and you've been listening to the NASM CPT podcast.